The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Amplify. We're the show that will help you take your message, whatever it may be, and get it out through social media, networking, and other marketing channels. Maybe even some that you've never thought of. Whether you're an organization, small or large business, or you just have the next positive message that's sure to go viral, you'll want to stay tuned this hour. Now, here's your host, Ken Rashawn. Hello, this is Ken Rashawn. We are back in D.C. Live, and we're talking to Steve Sims, who's out in Hollywood. He is an ugly kid from the outskirts of London, wasn't born in the world of luxury, but certainly holds his place there now. He's a founder and expert marketer within the luxury industry, been quoted in various publications, including the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, London, Sun and Times, and South China Morning Post, TV, and has been a speaker at a variety of network groups and associations, as well as the Pentagon, and he went to Harvard twice. I mean, he got it. He was so good at what he was doing at Harvard, they said, bring him back again. And then uh, he's a, if you want to sing with a rock star, have lunch with Donald Trump, get married in the Vatican, these are just a few of the highlights of what he can do for you. He is regarded for his marketing within the luxury world, but be prepared. He does things his way. And when I first met Steve, I said, hey, Steve, how are you doing? And he said, shut up, mate, and get me a whiskey. And I was like, what? So uh, we have to give a shout-out to American Dream U uh, because that's where we met at the Pentagon. That was our first encounter, and uh, he is a force to be reckoned with. Everyone enjoys leaning in and hearing him spew out all kinds of original ideas with his uh, very unique uh, use of the English language. Would that be a pretty accurate, Steve? I'm not quite sure I was that abrupt, but it, it, it probably <laughs> was the point. <laughs> Well, I have been uh, really waiting a while to get you on the show, and I'm so glad you had the time to come on the Amplified show, and I want to share with our listeners just some of the crazy stuff you've created in your life. And I think uh, you are a prime example of someone that is living the life they love. Yeah, I'm, li- yeah, I'm living my life. Um, sadly, there's been a couple of times in my life where I've come, I listen to peer pressure and idiots. Um, but, you know, thankfully got out of the way of that and got back to being who I was, like it or not. So how did that all transpire? Tell me some of those transitional points in your life. Well, I started off as a bricklayer from East London, uh, and now I'm in Hollywood moving around with billionaires throughout the planet. So it's quite a, quite a stretch, but I just never... I was an Irish kid, well, I am an Irish kid, an Irish kid from London that just never wanted to settle. You know, I could never understand why we couldn't do that and why the door opened for them and not us and why we got a shitty table at a restaurant but they didn't. You know, I just realized, without realizing it, there was a science behind all of this and that questioning allowed me to unlock it a little bit and then I started doing it for people to hopefully get me a job or to hopefully network or to hope all this hope was in it and while I was hoping to find an industry without realizing I created one 
And now we're uh, largely recognized as one of the leading lifestyle concierge firms in the planet. So we're very fortunate there. Yeah, I saw some of the videos on your website. You certainly are making an impact. They did rate you the number one luxury uh, concierge. What was uh, the, the science of it? Would you share some of the science that you learned to make that transition? Yeah, I think, I think we didn't complicate it. People have this, this, this perception that because you've got a lot of money, you are uh, well-educated, well-pronounced, and um, you know, have a lofty accent or something. There's, there's all these misconceptions. The bottom line of it is, is that everyone successful is successful because they have one thing other people don't have, or they utilize one thing that no one else utilizes. So the thing that every rich piece of person in the planet is highly educated is a huge inaccuracy. And to suddenly think just because someone's got money, you need to blow smoke up their ass. Again, another, another stupid route. We talk to people like we want to be talked to. If you tell me you're going to get it done, get it done. Don't want to hear any more about it. We approach people not because we're beautifully good looking, but because we get shit done and they can rely and trust on us without all the hoo-ha and pomp and ceremony. So there was that realization that people liked us for being us and me for being me that allowed me to feel like get into the network that I am. And how long have you been on the speaking circuit? Because I, I was fortunate enough to meet you because Phil Rendazzo has this very awesome mission to help uh, military people transition out of the military and correctly get a career that will take advantage of their skill sets and compensate them accordingly. At what point did you start your speaking career? Yeah, yeah, big shout out to Phil, love him. You know, the only thing bigger than him, and he's about six foot, six foot 20, and the only thing bigger than him is his heart. So, yeah, big shout out to Phil. Um, I started doing, without realizing it, consulting, speaking, interviews, probably about seven years ago. And they were all on the luxury market. You know, we've been doing this for 20 years now. Um, and then... Over, you know, it started off like six, seven, eight years ago. I was doing interviews because of the stuff I was doing with Bluefish. And then a weird thing happened about four years ago. People were asking me to do speeches at their events. And they were going, hey, um, can you just tell us how you get a client? So they were trying to get the trade secrets. So then I started doing a lot more speeches and consulting gigs. And I do remember, funnily enough, going along and doing a speech and then all of a sudden going, I never mentioned Bluefish once. And so people were just asking about these different ideas and concepts. So I suppose forever on Bluefish, but for about the last four years, on just the secret world of how I do things. And, and what was that 20 years ago that got you the idea? How, how do you fathom this? Yeah, no, there was no intelligence in me getting this idea. I was actually a doorman. Um, and I used to throw these uh, these parties and just really just invite people in that I wanted to invite in. And then before I realized it, I was just setting up a filter for having the correct people in my world. And as I say, I was trying to look after them and treat them as I wanted to be treated, hoping I could get a job in banking or in aviation or in jewelry sales. And it just grew. Before I knew it, no one was employing me, but they would all say, hey, Steve, can you do this in Monaco? Can you? do this in London, can you do this in Stard? And I was doing it, and again, without realizing it, building up a phenomenal network. So there was no intelligence or strategy or business plan down to how this actually launched. 
it just launched because I did what I said I was going to do. Yeah, you solved problems and you uh, you made dreams happen, right? Yeah, I'm, I don't even think I think if you'd have asked me at the time, do I do I you know make dreams happen? I don't think I would have even looked at it like that. I just I just solved the scenario. You wanted to be the front row of the Paris Fashion Week. That was my goal. That's what I had to pull off. I didn't care if you got second. I wanted you on first because that was what you asked for. The 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 mystique, the beauty, the allure, the fantasy that actually coming together. Yeah, that's wonderful. But the fact is, if you want to be sat there on this day to this show, that was my goal. That was my aim, and that's what I had to pull off if I told you I was going to do it. Well, I liked when I saw you at Secret Knock, which was really the uh, the second time that we met and had an opportunity to speak. And I said, hey, I'd love to have you on the show. So a shout-out to Greg Reed for actually not only putting together the Secret Knock, but uh, you share a similar philosophy because when you say that you were picking the type of people you wanted to hang with and, and to protect them from having the right people around them, you were kind of creating a secret knock in a way, weren't you? Yeah, without really like, Greg's far more intelligent than me, and he will openly tell you that, um, <laughs> and I can't take offense at it, but yeah, I wasn't realizing what I was doing, but I just knew one thing, no matter what the money was, I only really wanted to talk to people I liked, and so without realizing that, I was building up a community and a family of people that I could interact with, because if you can't interact with them, what's the point? Totally right. And, and so you get to travel the world all the time, right? I do. I do. It's a, it's a tough life. Sometimes it is bloody tough and horrible, but, you know, when you're, you're traveling around the planet staying in five-star accommodation, you ain't going to get too many sympathy bugs, are you? <laughs> Not too many. And uh, yeah. when, you were at, when you were at Secret Knock, you shared something on stage that I really appreciated. You shared that when someone wants to work with you, that you really want to know their why and how how much they need to have this happen in their life for you to really take interest in it. It has to turn you on, so to speak, right? Oh, I have, yeah, I have to be aroused by it. The bottom line of it is I have to wake up in the night and go, ooh, yeah, that's, that's kind of exciting. There has to be a new challenge. If I've done it two times before and someone phones up and says they want to do it, then I'm not going to turn my back on it because it's that passion, it's that love. But more than likely, I will get someone else in my team to fulfill but it's that person that phones up every now and then and says, hey, I know you did this at the Vatican, or I know you did this at Elton John's Oscar party, or I know you did this with, you know, whoever. I would like to do this. Is it possible? And then you go, ah, I haven't done that before. So once I get the challenge that I like, I've then really got to know whether or not I like the person. And um, so that's when it comes down to why do you want to do this? Why is it important? What's, what has to happen for you to wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning in cold sweats and aroused because you pulled this off? You know, what, what are we doing? What's the what? What's the why? So that's when you start kind of like nailing into that side of things. And that event that you said that you did at the Vatican, uh, if I recall, was that the one you brought Pacelli into the event? Yeah, or was that no, another? actually there were two separate events. I had this guy that wanted to do a really exclusive restaurant in Florence, and I was over there because of the Bocelli event. Uh, sorry, because of the Vatican event. And so what I did was I actually kind of put two and two together. And um, I actually took over the academia because, quite simply, I couldn't think of anywhere more exclusive in Florence to have a restaurant than the museum that houses Michelangelo's David. Um, <laughs> set up a dinner of six at the feet of the statue. And then, quite simply, just thought to myself, how can I make this better? You know, better than taking over one of the largest museums in the planet, next to the most iconic figure. And um, 
I thought, I wonder if Bocelli's up for it. And we actually managed to get Bocelli to come in and serenade our clients during dinner. How did that work? How did that happen? Um, do you know, I didn't overcomplicate it. Uh, I just asked a question. Um, I remember asking his people the question, and they hung up on me. And then I thought to myself, well, hang on a minute. I've been dealing with the Vatican, so I got them to make a phone call. Um, and lo and behold, they did it for me based on who I knew. So the more I do, the more my connections grow, um, I can usually get someone at a similar level to the person I want to get to actually make a call. So I'm a great believer in ladders. Um, and if I need to get something and I have no route, I look at my Rolodex and I go, well, okay, who knows this person? Who would this person take seriously if they got a call from that person? And that's my way in. So I, I phoned up the Vatican, and lo and behold, they did actually phone up Bocelli and said, hey, we've got this weird guy, Steve Sims, he's doing some stuff here, but he wants to get hold of you. And so then they called me back, and I was quite amazed that they did. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you gave two really huge gold nuggets there. One gold nugget is asking the question whenever you're doing anything, how could it be better? Because your mind can't help but go into gear. And especially if you ask a question like that, throughout the project you're doing, it's going to just really morph the project into some, something really outrageous. And then the second question was, I couldn't get through. Is there another way? And, you know, I, I just know there's a lot of people that don't look at what you just did and say, oh, yeah, I could do that because they didn't have the first question and they certainly didn't have the second, which was, hey, they hung up on me. I, I guess I tried. And that's, that's kind of street intelligence. It's like, how do you solve a problem when you have to, or not when you have to, but because you want to bad enough. Well, I think it's also because you have to. Again, my, my, my focus, and, and quite openly, I sat, there was, a, there was a moment that I was in the academia. We had closed off the museum at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, which set the dinner table up at probably about 6.30. I'm there at 8 o'clock with Bocelli and his wife, sitting on a plinth, uh, actually looking at the profile of David, Michelangelo's David. And at that moment, and I kid you not, I came down with such a cold sweat. It was like someone had walked on my grave and had a party. I just went into a kind of froze. And um, Andrea Bocelli's wife turned around to me and she said, are you okay? Because it was that obvious, I suddenly started to shake. I had achieved something so fantastical without recognizing, and here I was sitting there waiting for the clients to turn up. In fact, my client had 30 minutes with Andrea, and I was with him for about two and a half hours. <laughs> in the museum, wandering around an empty museum, looking at historic Renaissance artwork from the ages. And, I, and it hadn't come into my head, because I had only focused on that first statement, I want the most exclusive, exclusive restaurant in Florence, and it, one of his words were, it can't be replicated. And it was just that, all right, that's my challenge. And it was this kind of, how can I make it better? How can I make it better? That does stand you apart. I said to you at the beginning, the rich people weren't rich because they were well-educated. They were rich because they utilized something that nobody else did. They had something. They had that 5%. Me? I don't settle. I'm certainly not better looking than anyone. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a fuggy bastard. You know that. But I get shit done and I won't take no for an answer. And that, whereas I used to think my, my East London street 
attitude was a misgiving, and I wished I'd have gone to these pompous colleges that I now get paid to go and speak at, I've actually realized that was my birth. That was my nugget. Not having the preconceived notions and directions drummed into me at such a young stage has actually given me my edge. And I, I'm very thankful for that now in hindsight. Well, when you're taking on these projects, uh, in, some would say you're taking on projects that only you could do. I mean, they're, they're quite endeavors. They're, I wouldn't say they're impossible because you actually made it happen. But the point is when you're doing what almost no one else can do, you can command the price that you want to command. And, and it's, it's, I always find it interesting. The people at the top of the scale, they determine the price, not the public. And so you've achieved that. And then, of course when you're actually doing each of these events, you're building that raving fan base so that you have someone that paid you an exorbitant amount of money, but they actually got what they could, no one else could deliver. So they become your marketing sales force that just says, if you want the impossible or you want something that's really difficult to achieve, this is the man who make it happen. So it's brilliant. Well, yeah, the, the, the domino knock-on effect is amazing. Um, and the more incredible things I do... The more incredible access I gain, the more credibility I gain, the more the media talks about it in, in Forbes and the Worth and Rob Report and the London Times and the Wall Street Journal. So there's your marketing arm. Your client goes along to a dinner party and he stood there talking about this, this guy that gets him down to the Titanic or going backstage at a concert, and it just grows. You have, you, and all I've ever done is focused on that first thing. Everything else has been a domino effect that I still can't believe. I honestly, and you know this because you know me, I'm in awe that I've been asked to be on your show this afternoon. It really stuns me that Greg, who is a formidable force, asks me to speak at his event, an event that people apply to go to and are turned away unless you're the right breed. And then I've got Phil... That's having me speak, as you know, at the Pentagon, in front of people that can push big, powerful buttons, and they're listening to me. I, I, I'm, I'm like a kid in a toy store that it's got, you know, he's got locked in at night, and he's just waiting for them to open up the doors in the morning and kick him out. <laughs> I'm going to enjoy it while I can, but I, I can't believe it's still going on. Well, I mean, the reason it's going on is because you're actually creating magic. You're creating magic that I don't think anyone else I've heard of can do. And uh, being considered number one has its uh, is, is glory. No one remembers number two, right? Yeah, it, it does. It does have its it does have its perks. You can, I can get away with looking like I do, being who I am, turning up on one of my motorbikes. You know, I can get away with all that shit when I walk through the door, knowing that you know I've, I've come in with the business card of this is the man that can. As long as I've <laughs> got that, then then everything else can go by the wayside. Yeah, you're like that guy, the wolf uh, in Pulp Fiction. Which they, one's that? I don't even. I can't remember him. Who? Uh, he's the guy that cleans up the bloody mess. Uh, they call him in. Yeah. Yeah, because no one else. I'm can not do here. It. To, yeah, I'm not here to say please and thank you. I'm here to get it done. Yeah, no, I remember him now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not a bad analogy, right? <laughs> so, uh, you have such, <laughs> you have you have a lot of great stories, and I do want to pull maybe two or three of your favorites, but um, I don't normally talk about uh, your favorite books. But when I saw, and, and you rightfully should brag, you read the entire collection of Dr. Seuss, and uh, that's, that's a pretty big accolade. Not everyone can say they've read 
you know, the one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish, and, and, and the series beyond that. So what was it about Dr. Seuss that uh, made you actually put all your time in reading that particular series? I, I don't think I ever set out to do so. Um, I, I, it was one of those things where uh, my, my goal, I always look for a reason in everything. You know, why am I doing this? You know, why am I talking to you? Because I like you. I'm in awe. I, I'm, I like what you stand for. I love your marketing. But, you know, I'm always, why do I do anything? And I was looking for this reason. I've got three kids, and I wanted to be able to read to them. Now, you've got these books nowadays, and, of course, the books get kind of pretty wild and mockingbird, and everything just goes, Dr. Seuss is just solid. And the message that comes out of it, one of my favorites is Yertle the Turtle. Absolutely love Yertle the Turtle. Everyone's heard of the other ones, but Yertle the Turtle just, just cracks me up every single time. The message that this guy drove into an animated, weird, wacky book, I just find incredible. I can be reading it to my boy, and I can be saying, Yertle the Turtle, and he's giggling because it's a funny name, and I'm looking at it going, this message is powerful. That guy was a genius. Uh, oh, he, he was such a genius. I agree. Yeah, and I just, and so as soon as I finish one, and they're not very long books, uh, they're really short, and you get one book and it's usually got like three stories in it, and you can then just go and grab another one and grab another one and grab another one. Before you knew it, I was just, and then someone actually was at our house and they went, you've got every book. And I went, nah. And I knew we had a ton. But he went, you've read every, so I went out to see, are there any that I hadn't read? <laughs> <laughs> Well, so Yertle the Turtle, what was the message in that one? Yertle the Turtle was this guy from the pond, and he wants to be able to get a better view. And so what he does is he starts, he's the king of the pond, so he right. gets this, uh, the king turtle gets this, uh, this other turtle to come over, and he stands on him so he can get a better view. <laughs> and then what he does is he gets another turtle to get over, stand, um, sit underneath him, so he's higher. He goes higher. So all of a sudden, he's getting higher and higher and higher. But the higher he gets, because he's so horrible and mistreating the people beneath him, and that complaining because of the pain and the stress and the wobble, he's got no structure under him. So he's wobbling and wobbling and wobbling, and then, as you expect, it all falls down. So he has a temporary great view, and that's because he's on an infrastructure that doesn't work because it only benefited him. And, right, and I'm reading this, and my boy's going, oh, that's going to wobble and fall down. He's not being nice. Those people. And it's just sinking in. <laughs> so that's the Yertle the Turtle one. Well, Yertle the Turtle is one of... Yertle the Turtle is... Uh, you just brought back all the memories of me reading that, and it's the, it's the king of all I can see, right? That's the one, yeah. I'm the king of the pond. I'm the king of all I can see. Everything I can see, I hope. Yeah, no, that's the one. I loved it. Yeah, so the one I love... The one I love, Steve, is uh, the Sneetches. You remember the Sneetches with stars? No, remind it, me. Okay, so the Sneetches are the Sneetches with stars are the ones that are the special ones, and the ones without stars are the ones that are the inferior. And so yep, yep, the ones yep. with stars pump, pump their chest out, and they got to do all the cool stuff, whereas the other ones were envious because they didn't have the stars. And so this uh, this guy decides to open up a business of. Uh, making stars that he can give to the Sneetches that don't have stars. And so basically, they uh, <laughs> they start wearing the stars, and they're able to mingle with the ones who had stars. And so now the ones with stars are saying, 
Well, now we have no prestige. So the businessman comes over to them and he goes, I can actually remove the star from you so you guys can be different than them still. And so he just is cashing in left and right because he keeps moving those back and forth. <laughs> well, you know, you know Jay Abraham, don't you? Yeah. Right, so Jay's, Jay, I'm very proud to call a good friend and mentor of mine. And whenever he goes out, he gives out he, his business card. He gives out the book, All the Places You Will Go. Right. And if there's any entrepreneur out there, I know you're all reading Tim Ferriss. I know everyone's hot for Gary Vaynerchuk in the moment. You're all playing your Anthony Robbins CDs in the car. I know all of that's going on. But get your ass out and get all the places you will go by Dr. Zeus. And it was so good. And I thought to myself, I'm going to be really good. I'm going to buy it for my boy's graduation. Little, little do I realize that it's one of the biggest selling things for graduation gifts. Um, yeah. They actually do graduation specials. You know, my boy's coming out of high school and they've got all the places you will go as a graduation special. So, but you should read it. Excellent message. Excellent way it comes across, and every entrepreneur should read it. Well, you know, Dr. Seuss is a, a little like you. He, he was just so different as an author. He was turned down by countless publications. I mean, I, I don't remember the exact count, but I believe it was in the hundreds. And here he became the, the misunderstood genius that won the world over. And, and that really is really the accolade that geniuses get if they keep persisting. And the ones that don't persist, obviously, are a secret. Well, you know you, there's a millimeter between idiot and genius. Um, so we all know that. You know, you, you, you try everything, you fall on your ass, you're an idiot, then it comes up right and you're a genius that could see it before anyone else. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm constant to see that kind of thing. Being compared to Zeus, wow. I, I, I don't think you're right. I would never put myself in the same rumors that, but um, there is a trait for anyone that is successful at what they do in the fact that they didn't see the ob objections and obstacles that others did. So um, I don't see obstacles and objections. And if I get the answer that I wasn't looking for, then I either ask someone else or I ask a different question. Well, I, I know we're going to go to break pretty soon, so I want to give an opportunity for our guests to connect with you. So if you wouldn't mind uh, giving out your uh, ways to follow you and uh, whatever whatever way people can reach you. Well, I've got uh, my rants on a, a website that I call Ugly Sims. That's where I put up my rants on marketing. Um, I've got a new site coming out called tasteofblue.com, and my big bluefish is my uh, my bespoke concierge firm, which is at thebluefish.com. And I'm all of those on uh, Facebook, you know, Taste of Blue, Bluefish Group, and Ugly Sims. They're all on Facebook and all the rest. All right. Well, we're going to come back uh, in, in a couple minutes, and we're going to discuss some of the other stories and, and some of the other wisdom that you've gotten from uh, being in this business. So we'll be back in a couple minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
The Umbrella Syndicate amplifies good causes, good people, and good messages. They offer a suite of services that help people and businesses gain better exposure. Through working with the Umbrella Syndicate, you gain the ability to reach an audience of 50,000 unique people a week. They have recently reached over 20,000 followers on Facebook. You can view their photography and how they use it as a strong promotional tool on their Facebook fan page, facebook.com slash the Umbrella Syndicate. Show them your support by liking their page. If you're interested in gaining strategies to be more successful both at work and your personal life, check out Turn the Page with host Hemda Mizrahi. It's all about building new habits and perspectives. The show helps you identify the changes you need to make that align with your values and priorities. And then apply these principles to your career, health, social life, and other areas. These are proven techniques that work. Turn the Page airs live Fridays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. How is your work-life balance? In most businesses, no matter where you are positioned, there is always room for improvement. If you're an executive, learn insight about your business. Are you an employee? Learn how to better work with your team. Even if you're not in business, you can learn where your strengths and weaknesses can be played to their best potential. The Work-Life Balance with host Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. This is Amplify. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. We also would love to hear from you via email to info at umbrellasyndicate.com. Now, back to Amplify. All right, this is Ken. We are live in D.C., and we are with Steve Sims calling in from Hollywood. And what a great first segment. The second segment is going to be even crazier. I, I told Steve during the break we have to go two times crazier in the first segment. He said he can do probably three times, so hold on to your seats. I, uh, I, I want to start off and, and talk about the fact that you are very successful because you value keeping your word at any cost. And I, I was reminded of that when um, my dad said as a young age, hey, your character is your only asset you have. And if you lose everything else, as long as you have a character, you can build anything with your life. So I want to acknowledge that everybody says that about you, Steve. And it's, it's, it's not a rarity, but it is very special that when someone has integrity as their first uh, priority in life. It's, the, the, the trouble is I would love to stand here and say, oh, thank isn't it a shame that that's a, a noted quality nowadays, that someone actually keeps that word, when it should quite simply be as, as understood as the sun coming up and the, and the sun going down? The shame, right. the shame is that so many people now are, are, can be false, can build up layers, can build up pretense, whether it be through a very pretty social 
uh, Facebook page or a website that basically bullshit is ruling the planet. That when someone walks up and shockingly actually does what they say they're going to do, that's, that's an unusual. It's, it's a shame that that's even been brought up. Yeah, isn't it funny, Steve, when you call someone back and they say, oh, my gosh, thank you for calling me back. Like, <laughs> that's yep. part of what you do yep. in business. And, and no, isn't exactly. it powerful? It's how it should be done. Right. And isn't it powerful when you, you mess up and you just acknowledge it and then people respect you more? There's been so many times. You know, I've done, I've, I've screwed up, I've fallen on my face, I've gone flat 20,000 more times than most people on this, on this uh, um, listening now. But I've always told my kids, the fight isn't over when I get knocked on the floor. It's over when I stop getting up. And there's been times when I've invoiced someone, you know, 10 grand, because that's how much your event's going to be. And it's come back and it's been 12. And I've gone, shit. Well, I have two options. I told the guy it's 10, so I charge him 10. Or I go back and I go, actually, I got it wrong it's 12, and I need you to give me more money. And I always go for the first one. If I tell you it's blue, then it's blue. It's as simple as that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to fluff around. And you saying about that's what people tell you about me, it's the only thing I have, and it's everything I have, and is the best thing to have. And I'm really proud that if that's why I'm walking into a room with, I couldn't be happier. Well, I think there's another thing you have, and I think you kind of keep this a secret, but you're secretly very handsome. And you, you <laughs> say it's a lot of people place for this podcast, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So, okay. I heard through the grapevine, and I think the grapevine was you, that uh, Simon Schuster was knocking on your doors on February 14th, Valentine's Day, and asked you out to do a book. Is that true? This is the weirdest thing. I'm not quite sure I want Simon Schuster hearing this now, but it's too late. They paid, so I'm in. Um, I had, and I'll tell you the exact story. I was in New York, and I was up there in uh, this February. It was actually just before Valentine's Day. It was the craziest period of, of my life. And I'm not kidding you. In March, I had given myself a stomach ulcer, and I had to stay off the whiskey. So, two bad things. Couldn't eat, drink your whiskey anymore, and I had a stomach ulcer. So, March was not a good time for me. But in February, I took on too much. I took on a bunch of stuff over Super Bowl, took a bunch of stuff over on New York Fashion Week, took a bunch of stuff over for the Grammys, and I, and I partnered with Sir Elton John for his Oscar party. So, in February... I was the man that could, can, and was. I had the keys to the biggest events going on, and I'm shuffling millionaires and billionaires and trillionaires around all of these events all over the place. And I went up to New York because I had some meetings, and I was only up there for a few days. And one of the moments I was supposed to be up there, there was this guy that reached out to me and said, I want you to see some people for some interviews. And I was like, yeah, 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 I've got some meetings up there. Let's see if we can do that. So I got up to New York. They had a snowstorm. Every single one of my meetings got canceled. This was the only guy, the big shout out to Frank and Scott, that didn't cancel the meetings. And I'm thinking to myself, 
I don't know what's going to go on here. I don't know. And they said, oh, we've got some people that would like to talk to you about a book. And I'm like, oh, I don't. I hadn't done a proposal. I hadn't done anything. There was someone else that I knew had written up an overview on me and submitted it, and these guys had seen it. But I really hadn't had much to do with any of this. So I was on a, I was on a little ride here to find out, oh, well, let's see if it happens. I met up with three publishing houses. I had a chat for like 15 minutes with them, then left. Went back to the hotel, completely forgot about it. I just thought, those were probably the worst meetings I ever had. Apparently, the proposal that had been submitted, nobody even liked. Yet, they were still allowing me to walk through the door. The following Thursday, one week later, to the day, I'm literally getting off my bike. In my, I ride motorcycles all the time. Getting off my bike, and I felt my phone vibrate. So, I took the phone out. Scott's on the phone. He said, Simon Schuster won it. And I said, who? And I had no idea who Simon Schuster was. And then he told me that they wanted to go to contract. They would work out all the other things later. But they actually offered me a contract to write my first book. And that was back in February. And we actually put in the manuscript today. So to say yeah. that you're, you're, you're mentioning that is, is current is, is an understatement. Today we submitted the uh, manuscript for Blue Fishing, which will be coming out in 2017, and I couldn't be more excited about this new chapter of my life. Yeah, so that's like your fourth legacy. Oh, it was just incredible. It, I, again, I'm the, I'm the kid in the toy store. I'm expecting the lights to come on and for, for the security guard to go, hey, stop playing around, get out. I really do feel like that. And so what's the book about? Weird. Uh, it's, we're calling it Bluefish, uh, Bluefish in the art of making things happen. And it's really, it's got some stories about how I've done some of these things like, you know, the Vatican and the Titanic and singing on stage with Journey and all these kind of things that I've done and how I went about doing them. And really, because of how I'm so stupid and simple, how that can translate just into every other asset of your being and your existence. The exact same way that I've, uh, nurtured a relationship with, you know, Andrea Bocelli or, or superstars or trillionaires is the exact same format that I utilize in creating and making sure I still have the relationship with my kids and my family and my wife. So it really is simple and stupid and basic and therefore the most powerful. It is. I agree. Every book I enjoy, it's because they, they break it down. Unfortunately, isn't it exciting that life is not complicated? I mean, the, the simpler you make life to be successful, the more you can actually do it. That's right. You can repeat it. Keep it simple and stupid, and you can repeat it with, with I won't say little effort, but once you've got into that groove of just keeping things real, simple, and strong, and true, it's very easy. It doesn't take any effort to overcomplicate things. You know, when these people are... When you speak to someone, they go, oh, you wouldn't understand this because uh, you can look at them in the eye and realize they actually don't know what they're talking about. They're right. not just trying to become you or the turtle by trying to make you smaller than them because they haven't got a full grasp on it. <laughs> well said. Now, you, you had a great story you shared about Journey, and I'd like to uh, hold off on telling that story because I'd like to transition into, I guess, the, the darker side of, what it takes to, to break through. So was there, 
was there ever a time that you just were like miserable in your 20 years of doing this that you were like, I got to throw in the towel. This isn't working. Yeah. Yeah, there was, um, there was a period. See, I'm again, let's go back and repeat it in case anyone hasn't picked up on it. I'm a London boy that grew up riding motorcycles, wearing a black T-shirt and jeans. That was my uniform. That's all I could afford. That's what I wore, whether it be to the building site or whether it be out to the pub. Pulling up on a motorbike, getting off jeans and T-shirt. Now, that was how I always was. And when I was working on the door, you know, same kind of gig. As soon as I started realizing, and I hate using that word, but as soon as I started... um, I being scared of the network that I was in and suddenly going, well, hang on a minute. I know 10 millionaires and I know really intelligent people. And, oh, by the way, that's the head of so-and-so. And that guy owns a bank. And, oh, shit, he's a... I allowed intimidation to come into my life. And that intimidation had a really strange effect. I thought to myself, holy shit, I can't be turning up. And I was doing this. I was in Monaco. And I would be just like turning up at the party on a bike, you know, because, hey, that's how I did things, you know. And I remember that surely people must, must kind of look at me as a second-class person. If I really want to kind of excel in this world of uber luxury where, where black cards are just things that, you know, poor people have or whatever, you know, I, I, I had to really be something. So... I tried buying expensive, well, I say try, I bought expensive watches. I got tailor-made suits. I bought a Bentley, and I used to turn up these things in my suit, in a Bentley, in the nice watch, would wear the lovely Audemars Piguet watch and stuff, and all of a sudden I realized that I was becoming the perception that I thought people wanted to see. I was becoming somebody else. I wasn't me. I couldn't go up and give you a big hug if I met up with you because, hey, I'm wearing a five-grand suit. You know, I'm too cool for that. (laughs) And I was trying to be this person that I thought everyone wanted or expected in this international globe-trotting lifestyle architect to be. What I was actually doing was diluting and putting up layers of shields between me and the people that already liked me for being me. And I noticed that my phone calls weren't getting answered and my meetings were getting dropped and the money was going down and the contracts were going down. And I I couldn't put my finger on it because, hey, look, I look good now. I look like James Bond, you know? It was just incredible. I actually started drinking champagne because I wanted to look a bit more eloquent. And then I suddenly realized, well, I didn't realize, but then I started thinking, maybe it's the events. Maybe it's not me, but maybe the world's changing. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to step out of it. So I literally started going to a couple of events in my black T-shirt on my bike. But this time, it wasn't to meet any clients or anything. I was just going to hang out at the bar and observe. I was going to see if it was possibly... Just the world's changing. Not me, it's the world. And I just was looking for that clarification. Funny thing happened, as I started turning up on the bike again, you know, people were like, hey, Steve's here. And I remember someone came up to me and went, where you been? Now, the funny thing was, I had seen him at an event like two weeks prior, and he was the guy talking to me like he hadn't seen me for like six months. And then I realized, I don't want to get too deep about this, he hadn't. 
he had met the, 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 the ego or the perception or the person that quite simply had become intimidated and become someone he wasn't really. And I literally went home, sold those watches, and um, I sold the car. And today, I'm nearly 50, and I don't own a car. I ride motorcycles everywhere. Luckily, I've got a few. I collect them, but I ride motorcycles. I do not drive a flash car. I've not got fancy watches. Uh, got some nice suits, but I'm just true to me. That's what makes me comfortable, and I'm a lot happier. And, you know, funny enough, just to go into this a little bit more, I think you're aware that it was last Tuesday, Forbes came out with a seven-page article on me. Knocked me sideways that I had so much space in this article. And there was a picture in there of when I was with Mayor Bloomberg when he was having his position in New York and I was wearing a suit. And then there was another picture of me about six months later and I was with Steve Forbes in a black T-shirt and I had my arm around him, almost giving him a neck, um, neck choke you know, over this, uh, this picture taken. We were messing around. And someone said to me, you didn't look comfortable with Bloomberg, but I saw you with Steve Forbes. And it was funny how he noticed the difference in personality that I was within those exact two uh, different photographs. But that was my dark time. Yeah. That, that is, but the revelation shed the light on the good news, which is just be you. Oh, I was so lucky. I was so fortunate that, again, that, that kid in, my, in, my, in the back of my head saying, you know, don't settle, don't settle, don't settle, was loud enough for me to question, what was going wrong? And what made me go out and try it a few more times. Well, I want to make sure we get that story in of uh, the journey because I really enjoyed that. And who better to tell it but the person who actually created it. So... Why don't you share about the person who had that dream and how that how that they were affected by your ability to put it together? So Dan Sullivan, the only man I'm going to mention on my client bank, and that's because he's a CNBC commentator and he won't shut up about it even today. So he's out at uh, Neckar Island with Richard Branson. Richard Branson was doing something for charity, and he says, hey, I can get you to sing with Jimmy Buffett. Dan puts his hand up and says, I don't want to sing with Jimmy Buffett, but hell. I'll do anything for Journey. So then I get a phone call. Steve Gibbs saw this guy out for Journey. So I spoke to Dad, and I said to Dan, I said, uh, what are you trying to do? He said, oh, you know, bear in mind, he's sober now. He's back in the States. And people are usually quite shy about giving up their dreams. So um, he said, oh, you know, Journey, I, I want to meet up with Journey. It'd be nice. I said, okay, so if you were backstage and you shook their hand two seconds before they went on stage, that'd do it for you? And he was like, yeah, yeah. well, maybe something a little bit more than that. And he was nervous, so we started chatting. And this was over a few conversations, but I started breaking him down to get to the why. I knew he wanted to do something with Journey, but why? That's all I cared about. It actually came out that when he was at college to earn money, he was, on, uh, he was in a Journey cover band, and he slept on his mate's couch. Now, fast forward 40 years, he's not sleeping on anyone's couch anymore, and he's not in a cover band of Journey, but he wanted to simply meet Journey and to tell them how much that music had meant to him as he grew up. Now, this actually started to arouse me. Do you remember I said to you before? It's got to excite me. It's got to get the hairs in the back of my neck up. I've got to, I've got to go, I want to be part of that. 
So I said to him, okay, so do you want to jam with him? Yeah, I'd like to do it. And you could feel this guy's energy starting to get into this because now the box was open. You can do anything. What would you want to do with it? And we got bigger and bigger and bigger. And it went from backstage at, um, I think it was New Jersey. We got him backstage to meet them. And then it just went up and up and up. We got him, and we spoke to the band. I spoke to the band, and I said, I've got this guy that's been a fan of yours forever, and we want to do this. We found out that the drummer's son had autism. We found out that Dan's brother's son had autism. So we were able to wrap this up with a charity context in it and actually promote Autism Speaks while getting Dan to fulfill his fantasy. And so we actually managed, with the band's permission and help, and they really got behind me on this, Dan actually is regarded as the shortest-term lead singer of Journey when he went live on stage in San Diego and sang four tunes live on stage as their lead singer. And wow. it was incredible to see this. I bet. So his it life was phenomenal. changed forever. Fantastic job. So what is, what is something you want to do? What's the next challenge for you? Well, you see, that's the beautiful thing. I live vicariously through my clients. You know, I barbecue badly, but I barbecue. Um, I, got, I collect dogs. We love adopting dogs. You know, I live up here in the hills and then just, you know, I live up in the hills or in an airport. So for me, I just like to experience life. Um, I'm coming up to 50 this year. And someone said to me, oh, what do you want to do when you're 50? And I said, it's not what I want to do when I'm 50. It's what I've done by the time I get to 50. Can you imagine being 50 and looking back on your life and going, I wish. Now, that has got to be one of the scariest thoughts. Come my 50th birthday, I'm going to drink a glass of whiskey with my family and go to bed. Um, because quite simply, every day is that day to celebrate. Every day is that day when you go, I did this. I'm working on this. I am fucking alive. Those are the days I like. All right, so let me uh, reword the question. When I was 38 or 39, I was on a cruise ship in the China Sea, and I met some people that had traveled the world, and I thought about it for a couple of days, and I said, you know what? Before I'm 50, I want to get to 100 countries. So what are some of the bucket list items that you either have accomplished before you're 50 or that you've got left to do? Because I had have a son, write a book, and go to 100 countries. Those are my three bucket list items before 50. So what, what are yours? Well, I haven't stopped, and I don't want to trivialize this, but I haven't stopped to waste time in making notes. You know, if I like something, I go and get it. You know, make, making a note about it or something doesn't, it's not in my genes. Um, my bucket list items as a kid coming out of London, would have been to have got a new motorbike. Um, as I got older, it maybe would have to have, you know, traveled a little bit across the world. Um, here I am now with a collection of motorcycles and traveled and lived in most countries. In fact, I've got three kids and we've got three different passports, Swiss, British, and American. So, you know, my whole family have... have, have I've had dinner with kings and queens and, and traveled the world on private yachts and flown around and gone backstage. and So I'm constantly doing this kind of thing. But what is precious to me is to, to learn what's valuable and learn what's not. 
And going backstage and hanging out with, with Elton John or Lady Gaga is kind of cool, but it doesn't pay the mortgage. It doesn't establish a relationship between your wife and your kids. It's not important on so many levels other than the smile, shits, and giggles. So I'm very fortunate that at my age I've been able to see what is valuable to me and what isn't. And being valuable is being able to barbecue this weekend some food my kids will tolerate by eating um, and not worrying about traveling the world. So I, I really look at what's valuable and what isn't now. Okay, that makes sense. And, you know, like you said, you, you live differently, you feel differently about things, so that's, that's respected. So who, who would you say is the most interesting person you've met? Nine times out of ten, it's not the people you think. You know, I, I, I come away from an event with, you know, Mikhail Gorbachev or with uh, Richard Branson or someone like that, and people go, oh, you know, he must be the most interesting man. You the answer's no. Um, I think Jean-Paul de Julia from Paul Mitchell and Patron is one of the most incredible men you'll ever meet. And if no one's had the chance to get to know who he is, there'd be a lot of people out there going, well, I've heard of Paul Mitchell, but, you know, what's his story? Get in touch with his story. That guy, that guy is incredible. Um, meeting coal miners in Krakow in the salt mines, that was incredible. Auschwitz survivors, that's incredible. Meeting these people um, that have lived a life, maybe that they didn't want to and been able to conquer it and bring it around... That's what I find interesting. Of the big names, one of the guys that I've been very fortunate to, to, to meet and get to know is um, probably Elon Musk. Um, he's not a showboat. You don't see him on TMZ. He goes out and he is controlling everything from solar panels to, to cars. The guy is just incredible space. You know, how many people have laughed at him for every single one of his projects and now are retaining the, him to do it better than they were. This is a man that leads by substance rather than the big showboat of, oh, look at me, I'm really important. You know, that's not that man. So I would say that's one of the most interesting men of our, of our century, Jean-Paul de Julia uh, and Elon. And I would probably say get to know Jean-Paul first. Well, Elon is uh, obviously, uh, I mean, an all-in man. He, he has dreams that are so big that he would have to have the same mentality you have of just get it done because... He's reshaping the world. He doesn't see obstacles, and that's what I like. There's, there's a lot of people that do things, and they reinvent, they reinvent the wheel, or, or they, they try to tweak, tweak the solution. So why not just can I look, re, re-look at the problem or something? Or just don't, don't try to say no, because 20 people before you said no, get in there with a fresh perspective. You know, don't even look at the, the problem. Just look at a different solution. And that's what Elon's done. Elon literally has got... Here's the thing. I remember speaking with him down at uh, Hawthorne, and I was looking at this massive cylinder, which was the fuel fuselage of uh, one of the SpaceX rockets. Okay? And they informed me that all rockets have to come off Cape. Yet all rockets are built on the West Coast. And they said, what happens is they then get put on barges, they get sent down the coastline, through the Panama Canal, and back out to Florida. But by making the fuselage something stupid, like 18 inches thinner in diameter, total diameter, 
you could stick them on a truck and save millions by just trucking them across America. <laughs> so that's what he did. <laughs> well, he it was just that me. little, those little things, the way he just looked at things differently. Well, if that costs so much money, let's stop looking at how we can make that cheaper. Let's ignore it. Let's just do something different. Steve, we got one minute left. I'd love everyone to hear how to reach you um, in, in uh, one of your favorite quotes. Go for it. Oh, it says, uh, no passion, no point, my favorite quote. And if you want to get hold of me, ugly sims, thebluefish.com, or tasteofblue.com. And you can look up those as well on Facebook. So that's me. Well, Steve, you have been an awesome guest. I look forward to getting to know you more, hopefully even uh, being on some projects with you, because I'd like to amplify not only what you do, uh, on a radio, but I'd like to show the world that really you make the impossible possible, and you're doing amazing things in the world. I feel very fortunate to have met you, and I thank Greg Reed and Phil Randazzo again for putting us together. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. All right. Well, you've been amplified, and look forward to seeing you at the next event. Take care of yourself. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of Amplified. Be sure to join Ken Rashad again next Tuesday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, go get your message heard.